and meaning. And um, hopefully it will shed some light on some very storied passages. Everything that I'm going to bring up is a passage that you're familiar with, which I find that interesting when you have a word and where it's used is or in the, you know, the big passages. And um, yet not having been really looked at more closely in the past. Um, my word today is nishab. It is an Old Testament term that is translated um, to stand, stood, to present yourself, and it means just that. It means to stand upright, to be set over something, to be stationed, appointed. It is um, also translated as being an officer. Solomon had officers over certain things in the court. Um, it means to be fixed and determined. And you know, the first when you first look at that definition, you're you you kind of assume that it means kind of like histeme, you know, to stand and to take your stand in that place where you're appointed. But that is not what this word really means at all. I mean, it has connotations of that, um, but it is not directly related to an estime stand. There are other words in the Old Testament that um, point further to taking a stand in a particular place. And we're going to look at one of those. But this is where we're going today. So I've got a lot of splaining to do. Because when you look in the lexicons and you read about this word, you really find a lot of uh, goodies. The first one is just looking at Nishab in the um, theological dictionary of the Old Testament. It does bring Nishab and Yeshab as a double root. So those two are related. However, it just says that they're you know, there's a complementary relationship between those two verb forms. And the reason there's a complement is because yashab is really talking about to sit, like to sit on the throne, to be established someplace, to be stationary, to be, um, let's look at my little sheet here because I did write this down, to establish, to dwell. So it is more of a permanent scenario, whereas the neshab, which is the complementary verb, doesn't mean to do that. It means to go someplace and take a stand where you're going. You're, you're being directed to do something, and that's, that's what you're, you're on the behalf of that directive. You're doing that, and you're standing there. You're presenting yourself there, and I think that's really cool. So some further definitions when you look in some lexicons about this Deshaab word. It means uh, to be a plant, not in the sense of being stationary, but you know how a plant grows. You know, it, it rises, and that's what this word means. That's why it says it means to stand upright. Nishab is used to describe a plant that stands upright. The emphasis is not on the static or steady state, but rising from that position. It speaks also of a transitory positioning with the expectation that something is about to happen. So if God tells you to go somewhere, he's doing it for a purpose, and he's going to do something when you get there. That's the expectation of this word. I think that's really cool. It is also described of setting up a pillar, a monument, a road marker, and erecting an altar. And we're going to see how these 
all of these um, sort of definitions, uh, we will come to our final assessment of the meaning of this word as we go forth. But then I did a little side digging. And there's this publication, I can't remember the name, Abiram or something like that. But it's a publication that actually connects these two root words, yeshab and neshab, with some other really interesting Hebrew words. Now, these Hebrew words that I'm going to share with you cannot be, that's connection, the root connection cannot be found in any of your traditional lexicons. That doesn't mean they're not related. I mean, I've heard a pastor give an example of when I see teleos in the New Testament and it has that tele in it, I know that our words for communication like telephone, telegraph, comes from that. Yes, is that in the Bible? Are you going to find that in a lexicon? No. But you can look at the way words are made and where they come from and just use your common sense. So we're not laying down any, you know, foundational doctrine with this understanding, but we're going to look at it because we do believe that they're related. In this article, this publication is um, a publication that does really extensive studies. They don't really have an agenda. They're just looking at words and seeing how they can relate. So we're going to bring that forward as we look at these scriptures. Like I said, I had a lot to tell you about this. So just hang with me. Don't get lost in this. I'm trying not to get lost in this myself. Okay. So, the three other words that Nishab and Yeshab have a root connection with through the way that they, uh, the structure of their words, which, trust me, I'm no linguist, and I never studied the Hebrew, so I can't make this connection myself, okay? But they are Shub, and this word for Shub means to turn around. We know it to mean repent. When you turn around, what are you doing? You're, you're turning from your way, and you're turning towards the Lord's way, right? That's what repent means. You're repenting and turning your back on the things that you've always done, and you are determining to do it the way the Lord wants to do it. The other word is Shabbat. That is the word for Sabbath. So what do we believe about the Sabbath? What has the scripture taught us about what the, the, the Sabbath is really indicating for the saints? It's a time we come together to give thanks for the things that God has done, and then we position ourselves according to what his intent is going to be going forward. In that little process, in between what you've been doing and where you're going is kind of a repenting that you do. Do we come here every Sunday? And hopefully no one here is having to repent for your sin every week. Okay? <laughs> that's, that's, really what God, that's not really what God is um, interested in for his saints. We should be people who are not knocking over Piggly Wigglies and, you know, cheating our brother out of money. And you know what I'm saying? That's not what we come to the Sabbath for. But the repenting, the idea of repenting is what? It's, it's, again, laying down what doesn't go forward. And so it kind of reminds me of dying to self. 
We are called to die daily. That is the prophetic unction. That is the prophetic in the New Testament. That is what a prophet must do. That's what it means to be prophetic. It means to die daily, to be a martyr. So you still, even though you're not repenting as Shub would define it, we know that when we come to the Sabbath day before our Father, we do what? You submit yourself afresh. Now, we say these things every week, you know, as far as, okay, submit yourself, um, open yourself to the Lord, and you, you just sound like a broken record. But the, and, and if you don't do it actively, that's all it is. But the truth of the matter is, we should be doing that every day. When we come before the Father, it's submitting yourself for that day, for, your, for what you're called to do before him that day. But let's just, I mean, that's a daily situation, but let's look at the Sabbath, particularly when we come together as a congregation. The point is, we submit ourselves for what God wants to do. Yes, this week. <laughs> yes, this week is important. And I promise you, those who do not find themselves in a point where they are willing to lay their life down again, and I mean to the core of your being, that's the, that's the koinonia or the exchange you're making with God every time you come before him in this congregational setting. You do that enough times, and you're not going straight anymore. You're over here. You have stopped being aligned with his purpose. We know this to be true. The pews that aren't filled speak to that very thing. We've lost folks because they ceased to submit themselves to what God is doing afresh. And then the third word is Shabbat, and it means rest. It is the Sabbath rest. So this is, this is the full complement of verbs that, that relate to one another, and this is what is going to be the background of how we are going to look at these verses. Is everybody with me? We have a mic with Dennis and Tammy so that if anyone has a comment or a question during this hour, you are free to do that. Just, just speak up and they'll bring the mic to you, okay? We didn't have it prepared last week, and poor Cece stood up there. I felt so bad for her. It was all by myself. I thought, I'm going to be on the floor. This is, I, I've got to be with my people, and I want them to be able to um, comment if, if you have um, something to say or a question. All right. I didn't think I was going to get through that part. It was easier than I thought because all that stuff was just up in my head. And unlike some people, it didn't really look like it was very clear. I understood it. I just didn't know if I was going to be able to relate it to you. But I'm glad that the Spirit was here to help me do that. So this, let's look at the first issuance. You know, here's the thing before I go into this. <laughs> yes, these Old Testament words say that they have a relationship as root as a root verbs okay and and that's great 
And I love that that was brought forward, and we saw that. But the point is that that is the, really the foundation for everything that we do. The Sabbath day, repentance, that's the beginning of everything. If you're not willing to die to go forward, you're not going to go forward. Aligned. Yes, will you be drug along with the saints? You know, will you be in the same room and in the same company with what the saints are doing? But will you be in the right placement? So these words, even though, like I say, the lexicons don't, you know, bring these words down to the root and say how they're connected, it's really not even important because this is the foundation of who we are, really, anyway. So as you look at these verses, people who have that are mentioning these verses are people who are covenant people with God. There are people who are being directed by him. There are people who are partnering in his grace. And so these, these elements are present, okay? Even though it is Old Testament, we know that the Old Testament is not the same as the New Testament. But let's go forward. Genesis. Uh, can I say yeah. something about that? It, it occurs to me that, you know, we do that or arguably we're supposed to do that like a communion where we come and we we have bread that is unleavened so we don't we don't come with old baggage we want something fresh and new with god and even when jesus said to his disciples he took a little child and put him in the midst and said unless you are converted you become like a little child and, and become converted. You won't enter into the kingdom. And, and I, think, I think, you know, this concept has been embraced by the church to a degree where we just repent. And then, but then we don't really embrace this concept where it's being changed from glory to glory. We just, we just keep resetting but we don't recognize the principle that has to be involved with as sons going through the ways of God and on that seventh day rejoicing, looking back, giving thanks to him, but then going into the new. That's the conversion part, which really does link the what Jesus said to John the Baptist about, you know, John the Baptist is saying, repent, metanoia, which is shub from the Old Testament. And... <clears throat> Uh, when Jesus said, you know, John, you know, I haven't sinned, but I'm going to participate in this anyway to fulfill righteousness, to show you how righteousness is supposed to be. It's not, I'm not here because I've got any sin and I've got a dip in the river and there's something in the water and all those other songs that are sung. But I'm here to show the principle of righteousness, to fulfill that. And, and that's why John was said to be the greatest prophet that ever was born of woman because he was depicting this, you gotta, you gotta die to self to move into the, to the, this New Testament. And Jesus fulfilled that righteousness by saying, okay, I'm sinless, but go ahead and do this anyway because this is fulfilling what the righteous purpose is. So I think for us as saints, when we started talking about being changed and moving into the new and pressing forward into the new people thought we were abandoning i want to hear a little bit more about jesus 
Well, this is the best thing you can hear about Jesus, to fulfill righteousness. What is the principle of, of being changed and repenting? It's going forward into the new, which is this whole concept. So I think, I think that um, this Abarim business where you found this really does open, open us up to what we're really doing. And, and really, as saints, restoration, what is that? What, what are the angels saying? Hagios, Hagios, Hagios. Why are they saying that? Because there's always something new God wants to do, but it's, and so you've got to come to it and say, I'm going to lay everything down. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to leave everything behind, which is, you know, Fran and I were exchanging some things the other day about, um, you know, unless you're willing to leave mother and father, you can't be my disciple. Unless you're willing to say, I love them, but I've got to move forward. You're not going to be a disciple. You're not going to enter the kingdom. And that's why Shub and um, Sabbath and the Sabbath rest. Why did God rest? Had he sinned? Why, why was he participating in this Shub in Genesis? God didn't sin, but there was a whole lot of sin in that darkness that was covering the earth. So it's that's an interesting concept so i'll be i'll be quiet yeah i love that thank you yes that and that and see that and that further expounds upon looking at this term from the perspective of this is who we are this is how we operate on behalf of what god is doing those principles must be applied they must be a part of our daily walk in order to for us to go forward and to really be used. You think about, we've spent a long time really focusing on standing where we've been planted. That's been huge. That has been huge. But think about being planted. Were you growing? Yes. You stood where you were planted and you've been growing in grace. But now this word Nishab is talking about going forward and doing something from the place where you have been and God using you there. So let's look at this Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 18, 1 through 3. This is the first issuance, and it's really interesting. Uh, and the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and that's Abraham, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and bowed himself toward the ground, and said, My Lord Adonai, if now have found favor in your sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. And then it goes into, um, this is uh, the Lord, Yahweh, and two angels that were with him. And the Lord spoke with Abraham um, at this uh, visitation, and told him that, that Sarah was about to have, get pregnant and have a child, where she laughed and said she didn't. <laughs> and that's what this is talking about. So the, <clears throat> the three men that stood, the Lord and the two angels that were with him, they were representing that positioning of going forward. This is how you're going to go forward, Abraham. You have to accept. You have to die to the last. How many years was it? Was it 20 years? How long did Abraham, before when the covenant was first spoken, 
or the promise was first spoken to Abraham to the time, was he like 80? Wasn't it like 20 years? Because in between that time, you had the Ishmael situation, you know, Sarah's like, so it was 40 years. Interesting timetable, right? I've seen that before. But yeah, so you have a really long wait. And you also have them saying, I think you got to lay with the chick over here because this covenant is not going to, you know, I mean, this promise is not going to come to pass. So, because I can't get pregnant. So let's use her and call that the, you know, the fulfillment of God's promise. Wow. <laughs> that is such a bad idea. Right? But we really do that. We really try to make things happen, particularly when there's a really long wait. And, and I love the fact that God did not hold that against them. He still fulfilled his promise. And when he came to fulfillment, he did it at a time when it didn't make any sense at all. Okay, I'm 135 years old. I'm exaggerating now. I hope you're all with me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm way past the age of doing this. This is not going to happen. Ha, 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 says Sarah in the tent. This is hilarious. <laughs> um, I can just hear Sandra saying that. Stacy, this is hilarious. God said, I'm going to get, get, you know what I'm saying? That's Sandra. I mean, she's up in those ages, you know, where Sandra don't listen to this. But at any rate, um, <laughs> I digress. But the point is, they had to really lay down their conceptions of what, what they thought was okay or normal. They had to die to self and accept what God was saying and go forward. So that is a really cool example. And, and let's take a look, take a peek at this. There's several occasions where Adonai is used in these verses, which, you know, Adonai is actually not used that many times in the Old Testament. It, it's usually Yahweh, right? So we know that when it is used, speaking about assignment and placement, this is, this is Adonai really laying down the, the law for them. This is how we're going forward. This is what you have to do. And I just think that's really cool. And yes, we have that favor is that, that grace there. All right, let's look at the servant's mission. In Genesis 24, verses 12 through 14, Eliezer said, O Lord God of my master Abraham. So he'd already been sent by Abraham to go find a chick for Isaac, right? And now he's, now he's there. And he's talking to the Lord God. This is Yahweh Elohim. And he says, I pray thee send me good speed this day. Show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water. And the daughters of men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink. And I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that you have showed kindness unto my master. So here we have Eliezer, who is a servant of Abraham. He's been commissioned by Abraham to do this task. And he gets to the place and he stands. So he's a part of Abraham's covenant family. He's a servant of Abraham right? That's his place of service. But he goes to this new place and stands before the Lord God in order to perform this task and to fulfill it. And it's fulfilling righteousness because this is the plan of God 
for the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on. So again, really interesting how this word is used. Let's look at Jacob's ladder. In Genesis 28, 12, and 13. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, Yahweh stood above it and said, I am Yahweh Elohim of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, and the land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it into thy seed. So God meets with each of these sons to reiterate his covenant that comes from Abraham, that he is going to remain faithful to that covenant. And he shows Jacob this ladder that is set up. It's what? Standing upright. What does that indicate? When you think about standing upright and with the emphasis on rising, what is our... What are we called to do? We're called to look up that ladder, to look up at Yahweh who's standing up there. He's also directing the way that we should go. He's positioning us. See, the thing about repenting, sin, 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 turn, righteousness, 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 when you turn toward righteousness, that's positioning. That's positioning to go forward in the right direction. That's what this This whole connection is between the Sabbath, the repenting. It puts you in a position to do what you're supposed to do. And God, from his throne, is always, he's always um, depicting that through his word. He's depicting that through his actions. He sets up the ladder. These are things we look to. You think about the signpost or the marker or a pillar. These are all indications of something that God has done or like this was what we did that set you on the right path. This is how we commune together and you submitted to it. And now because of that commune, this is the pillar that that memorializes how you're going to go forward. I love this. I love how this, yes, does it mean the same thing that we've always said? I mean, you can look at these passages and they they depict this but this really shows you the depth of what god is doing in us let's look at jacob's pillar because this is a memorial of their conversation genesis 35 14 and 15 jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with with god even a pillar of stone and he poured a drink offering thereon and he poured oil thereon and jacob called the name of that place where God spoke with him, Bethel. So this is really, this is a really important understanding. It really puts um, kind of a, well, it's kind of like the things you've been, you've been taught, you see a deeper foundation that God has actually laid that, that we're actually following. So let's go to the next page. Excuse me, I didn't mean to cough into the mic. So Joseph's dream. You know, Joseph in this that story, and particularly, I mean, the Lord just, this was one of the most amazing 
studies that I ever did was about Joseph. And I know I taught on it at a seminar many years ago, but that, that one study has still been my meat. It really speaks so much about how we can accept the plan of God when it, it looks like it's just bad stuff. There's no way the plan of God is being fulfilled. I'm in prison for 15 years. How? You know, that dream, you know, how is that going to come to pass? And the funny, other funny thing about that is I think about his brothers who, you know, they obviously all believed in dreams and they thought that they could bypass it and get rid of Joseph to, so the dream wouldn't come true. I mean, <laughs> they're real thinkers. But obviously it never happened because the plan was going to be fulfilled. But let's, let's look at Joseph's dream itself where this word is used in Genesis 37, verses 5 through 7. And Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray to you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, <laughs> my sheave arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about, and made obeisance to my sheaf. And that other word for stood there, stood about, really means that, to surround. So it's shabab. It's another word. Shabib, shabab, neshib, neshab. Um, so here we have God showing uh, Joseph in a dream how his plan is going to be fulfilled. This is the righteous path. This is the way it's going to go. And I do think it's interesting because of what Joseph had to go through to see the fulfillment of that. I mean, think about it. It was, I, I think about the things God has told me and the things that I've stood for and how important they became so that I could keep standing. I mean, you know, it was just a snippet. Think about this dream. I mean, three lines in the scripture. But if you're looking at life and life is not lining up with what God said, all you can really do is say, I know you said this, and that's all that matters. I'm not going to let life dictate my response or my actions or what I believe because I'm believing that little dream. I mean, he had to have that in prison. I mean, you know he had to be thinking, I don't really know what's up. But he had grace, and Yahweh was with him in every situation leading up to the great emancipation okay so i just think about how important it is when god shows us something like that where he's showing you and and so what are the things you're leaving behind you're leaving behind any doubt unbelief you're turning away from the things that would oppose you're fulfilling that you're repenting you're dying to self daily I, joseph had to die daily to make it through that and not be bitter because listen, when it happened and he saw his brothers, he didn't have one point of revenge or bitterness in his heart for them. I mean, he had the power to do anything he wanted to to them. Anything. No one would have hardly blamed him. Right? But he didn't do that. His first words to them were, hey, don't fear. I'm not, I'm not going to hurt you because I know that what you intended for evil, God intended for good. He, he, he did that so that I could save all these people. That's why this happened. That's the way, that's why it happened the way it did. 
And that's the why, it's the reason, it's the only way it could happen. You really have to see things in your life as though this is the only way I can get where God is taking me. If I'm not willing to endure this, then I'm not willing to step into the fulfillment. The fulfillment, the thing is, the fulfillment is not the thing. What the thing is, is you being ready to be in the fulfillment. That's what the journey is. It's getting you ready to step into the fulfillment. So we just like, of course, it's easy to look at the fulfillment. Oh, my God, God God's going to make me great. Woo! I'm going to be great. I'm going to be so great. And then next thing you know, you're hanging by your toenails. I mean, but that's the only way he's going to make you great. And by, you know what I'm saying. Because we love the promise. We love the thing that God has promised us because it is, you know, it's a good thing usually. It's not, yeah, you're fixing to die in prison. Yay, I can't wait to get there. <laughs> no, he gives you some, you know, I'm giving you the nations, whatever, right? But how is he going to get you ready for the nations? Trust me. When he gives you the promise, you're not fit to deal with the nations. You're not. So we have to look at this principle as standing and being willing to go based on that righteous vision, based upon that righteous um, positioning that God puts us in. And I'm not going to get through these if I spend that much time on every single one of these. In the next three here, Moses and Aaron, um, look at verse 20. And they met Moses, this is the children of Israel, and they're really teed off. But Moses and Aaron who stood in the way. So Moses and Aaron were representing the righteous way. They were representing what God wanted for the children of Israel. Exodus 7, um, Moses was told, was told to go stand by the river's bank. So he was going to stand there and watch God do something. God was fixing to move over there, and he went obediently as the Lord instructed. And then in Exodus 15, 8, um, when they walked through the sea on dry land, the flood stood upright. And if that was ever an indication of what God and his righteousness was doing in that moment, I think those waters standing up as a, as a heap was a clear, a clear picture for everyone. It's beautiful. So I, you see how I kind of mowed through those so I can get going. Here we have Moses who is positioned for partnership. Another really storied and off-taught topic here. Exodus 17, verses 8 through 9. Then came Amalek. They're the bad guys. And they fought with Israel in Rephidim. Moses, and here's the thing here. Oh, what, what happened right before here? Because I, I just read that. Um, something just happened right before this that I was going to mention. Holy cow. Do you remember, Pastor? I'm sorry. It's not important. It's just interesting, okay? But Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow, and I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So, but something else entirely was happening right before this. I mean, it was basically this was happening, and then it says, Here came Amalek to fight. And Moses did not have a conversation with God that is spoken of in the Scripture. Moses is the one who said, I'm going to go, you get the people, I'm going to go stand on the hill with my rod, okay? But what, this, this is amazing because God used that, you know, he was often used as an intercessor. He stood in between God and the people often, and he would, um, 
you know, intercede on their behalf when God wanted to destroy them, right? Well, in this sense, um, you've got uh, the people out there fighting Amalek, and Moses is standing up there as the intercessor on behalf of this battle. And that stand was a stand of righteousness, is it was a stand how we're going to go forward, how we turn to God to get this victory. Um, so I really love that depiction. And of course, we know the story. If his hands, and think about this, he lifted his hands. As long as his hands were raised, they were victorious, right? So that's also that standing upright, our positioning like the plant that is always, you know, moving up and growing. Standing upright, lifting the hands. Okay, then we have Moses, and this is kind of where I began my study, was uh, Moses, Moses, who was positioned for this encounter um, with Elohim, Exodus 33, 21 through 23. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass... While my glory passes by, now this is before the verse that I got. I'm sorry to have misled you. It's not important, but I have to say it. Okay, but this is the story, okay? This is the story where Moses has asked God to show him his glory. And God tells him to stand upon the rock, and it shall come to pass, that while my glory passes by, that I will put, sum thee, in a cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by, and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. So to me, it is really interesting that this word is used for Moses to stand upon the rock. He's being directed by God. He is obedient to stand upon the place where God has, has directed him to stand in order for this encounter to occur. And that, when I think about that particular moment between God and Moses, it was, it was really so profound. This whole encounter and what it has shown us is so profound. But I find it really, I think that would be terrifying. I mean, I know that Moses was meeting with God in the mount. I mean, he had been in his glory. He had, you know, experienced, you know, communing with God face to face. But still, Moses was just fearless, and I don't mean without awe, but his relationship with God was really ambitious, to me. And I know, oh, we can look at the time where God don't send me, you know, um, where I stand, this holy ground. And, you know, he, he, it wasn't like he wasn't humble. That's not what I'm saying. But you think about the things he's asking for. This is huge to me, him standing on the rock. But him taking this stand is him facing forward. It's him facing in the right direction because God obviously put it in his heart to do this. He wanted to show him something. And what did he show him? I love, I love what pastor's been teaching about this. That hand is covering what he's doing while he's doing it. He removes the hand so that we can see 
afterwards how he did it. I think that's amazing. I really do. That is, that's just a huge understanding for us. But then we come to the summons. Because this particular passage follows all of the things. We have Moses in the mount getting the first set of tablets. And there, I can't even make that sound. My mouth is so dry. Yeah, those were the teeny weeny tablets. You have to have a lot of spit to have big tablets. Um, so all that has happened where God has tried to meet with the children of Israel. They have rejected him. Moses had to go up, and he brings down the tablets. And what happened? The children of Israel are already, you know, doing abominable things. And so after that happens, Moses talks about going forward in the grace. Then he talks about, you know, want to see your glory. <laughs> right after that, in Exodus 34, 1 and 2, this is what the Lord says to Moses. Hew thee two tablets of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables, which you broke. <laughs> Be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me in the top of the mount. Now this, I've, I, I uh, was really thinking about the fact that what followed, obviously, is what Pastor just taught on on Wednesday. And so you have Exodus 34, 5, and 6. The Lord descended in the cloud. He stood. This is the other word, Yeshab, with him there. He was abiding. This was his place of establishment. And proclaimed the name of Yahweh. And Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. This is just what Pastor taught on Wednesday. So we have this encounter here where Moses was to present himself in the presence of the Lord. That is where Moses was being summoned. Okay? And I was thinking about that in relationship to where we are and how God has been um, speaking to us about his presence, about welcoming his presence. And I wondered if the seminar wasn't us being summoned to present ourselves before his presence. Um, because the first time that God met with him in the mount, it was not discussed in that same way. Okay? It was different. And this was positioning Moses to go forward with those tablets because the children were just, they were not reliable. But Moses had to stand anyway. He's the one that had to carry the purpose of God through the wilderness. He's the one that had to continually stand on behalf of righteousness and what God wanted to do with them despite what they were always doing and murmuring. I mean, they were murmuring just relentlessly and so I think about this last encounter and how God had him to present himself and he just gave him the tablets again I mean that's all it says he did but you know whatever he did as Moses took that stand and presented himself 
it prepared him for those years to come. That was the moment that sent him forward, okay? And I wonder about this, this seminar called The Presence and how God is going to use this to prepare us to go forward. In his presence, look at this, Psalm 41. Does anybody have any comments before I move forward? Nope. Okay. Psalm 41, verses 11 and 12. By this I know that thou favorest me. This is not grace. This is just to be delighted in. Because my enemy does not triumph over me. And as for me, you uphold me in my integrity, and you set me before your face forever. So this is our being placed in this upright position in, in his face, before the face of the Lord. Now, why is this not Yashab? Because Yashab is stationary. I think it's because the face moveth. You know, the face is always turning. And we always have to be in a position to move with the face. So the standing has to be one that's transitory. It's transitory positioning with the expectation that something is going to happen. That's what this word means. So he, you move with his face. Perpetually, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Right? To always be in his presence so that we have that expectation that he's about to do something. The covenant with the children of Israel. I'm not going to read this whole verse, but, you know, when God talked to them about their covenant, he, they were standing there and should have been ready to move in his presence. That's what it says. You stand this day, all of you, before Yahweh Elohim. And I want to make a covenant with you. Now, sadly, there's so many other verses that talk about you broke the covenant. <laughs> but this was God's intent. It was his intent for them to stand in his presence and to be faithful to this covenant. And that's standing again. Ready to move. Ready to move. Let's look at Hannah stood praying. 1 Samuel 1, 26-28. Hannah said, O oh my Lord, as thy soul liveth, she's talking to Eli. I am the woman that stood by you, plowing unto Yahweh. This child that I prayed for, the Lord has given me, which I asked of him. So she palau, this is, a prayer, this is the prayer that is like prosuke in the Old Testament. It's a partnership prayer, and palau is the product of that supplication. It's, it's understanding, uh, having a declaration or understanding or a judgment that God wants to do. It's giving you insight. So think about this. Think about Hannah palauing, palauing, am I saying it right? Palauing, <laughs> palauing. I'm not really sure. But she is entering into supplication on behalf of Samuel being born. And that partnership 
bore this amazing prophet seer that we read of in the Old Testament. He maintained his covenant. He was righteous. And it was all birthed through Hannah in this Palau prayer as she stood by Eli. He was the priest. He was the one in authority there at the time. Therefore, she was standing by him. She allowed him to be that covering, even though he thought she was a nut. You know, that's where she made her prayer. And what, what became of this? What became of this was the plan of God being fulfilled with, with um, uh, God, the name just totally went whew, out of my head. Thank you. Because I said, did I say Solomon before? I don't know. Anyway, brain blip. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Samuel. Because it's in verse Samuel. There's, there's a big key right there, folks. Let's just read the scripture. Let's look at diligent watch. Isaiah 21.8. Um, Adonai, I stand continually upon the watchtower of the daytime. I am set in my ward whole nights. So this is uh, the prophet speaking to the Lord Adonai, the one who is um, overplacing and assigning what people are doing. And he's standing, and when it says, um, upon my watchtower in the daytime, that actually just means daily. I mean, it can mean the day, but... It means that he's doing this, and he's standing. He's abiding. That's what this Ahmad word. This is another word for stand in the Old Testament. It's used about a bazillion times, and it's used very generally. But it does talk about the Lord standing because the Lord does abide. But anytime it's talking about abiding and dwelling in a place, this word Ahmad is used. So he's really saying, look, I'm not moving. I have not moved, and I will continually be on my watchtower. I'm going to be, you know, watching and praying daily. But he's standing at night. He is erect. He is attentive to his duty and his charge in the night even. That's what this word ward means. It means to, to be faithful to your post, to your duty or to your charge whole nights. Now, I could bring this up, but it'll just take time, so I'm not going to, about the nights. But anyway, blah, blah, blah. The word of Yahweh. Psalm 119, 89 and 90. Forever, Yahweh, your Debar word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness is unto all generations. You have established the earth, and it abides. So here's, here's a contrast between these two words. The Debar word is settled in heaven does not mean it is just stagnant up there. It means it's doing something. It's continually doing something. You can expect a display of its power continually. That's why this word nashab is used. And it's always going to represent what? The purpose of God, his righteous plan, the righteous way. How do we accept that? We have to die to self in order to move forward in that. But that is the watch that we have. I mean, that is the word of God that we, that we are um, looking at. But then the word 
Ahmad again to be settled. He established the earth. Nothing's going to change that. It's going to abide. I mean, until the Lord does something to change that. But see, man can't change what's going on with the earth. It's been established. It's going to abide. I mean, man likes to think that all these things are happening with global warming and climate change and all. Nothing is happening that is outside the plan of God. Absolutely nothing. Now, this next little um, section entitled Adonai is really interesting. Looking at Amos 7, 7 and 8. Thus he showed me, behold, Adonai stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand, and Yahweh said unto me, so you've got Adonai and Yahweh in this discussion, Amos, what, what do you see? And Amos said, a plumb line. Then said Adonai, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. This is a perfect example of the children of Israel totally missing the mark. God is done. Uh, the destruct, he said, I, they can't even hide fast. They can't hide from me. I'm, I'm going to completely obliterate them. And that it comes through in Amos 9.1. I saw Adonai standing upon the altar. And he said, smite the lintel of the door, that the post may shake, cut them in the head, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that flees of them shall not flee away, and he that escapes of them shall not be delivered. In both of these instances, you have Adonai being the plumb line. He is standing, representing the plumb line that is the standard for you and me in our intercessory life, in our life as a son. That's what that plumb line represents. And him standing, holding that plumb line, is calling the children of Israel short for what they, what he has asked them to do. You know, the children of Israel, we really like to harp on them because they really show such a, a good example of how not to be. But we find ourselves very akin to the children of Israel in so many ways. And I can remember really giving them, a, you know, a bad marks back in 25 years ago until all those marks ended up on my chalkboard over the last 25, you know, something or other. And there I was being a children of Israel. I thought, oh, well, they weren't that bad. <laughs> no, I didn't say that at all. I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so, this is humanity right here. He is giving us a picture of humanity right here. And so we, we have to be so careful and so, and so grateful for the way the Lord has led us in his word to show, to show us the deeper things because the deeper things have been what has um, delivered us from ourselves. It's that revelation of his word that is alive in us that has directed our path and always given us a way of escape. Trust me, I think if you're, if you're just, you know, uh, being as the children of Israel were, he wasn't giving them a way of escape. At one point, it was like, this is over. You know, I'm fixing to destroy you. You know, I'm going to kill you, and you're going to die. And he was not repenting. And he said, you can't run far enough. You can't hide. I mean, he, he's you know how poetic God can be. I mean, he really says it beautifully. But we have to be in a place where we're already dying. So he doesn't have to kill us. 
Seriously, that is how we accept the new. That's how we're always rightly positioned when we come to stand in a new place on his behalf. We're there to see him do something and for us to partner with it. It's, it's going to be the way that he deals with us. Balaam and the ass is an interesting story because you have all three of these words in this story. The Yashab, the Nashab, and the Ahmad. Ahmad. In Numbers 22, God's anger was kindled because Balaam went. And the angel of the Lord stood. He shopped. He was established there. He wasn't moving. He had taken a position up against Balaam at that point in the way. And he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing there. So it says, when I looked this up in the lexicon, it was talking about how the reason why um, the ass's perspective was of Yashab is because he was watching what was happening. In other words, he wasn't really involved with the thing. He was just seeing it, right? But still, the Lord, <laughs> Balaam knew that he wasn't to pass. He didn't try to approach the Lord because he knew it, he would smite him. Balaam was, I mean, my, my initial title was Balaam and the not-so-dumbass, but I thought, you know, I didn't want to put that on the sheet. But really, Balaam is the one that had his eyes open to see, I mean, the ass is the one that had his eyes open to see the Lord in the way. And so the, the, the ass turned aside and went to the field. Balaam smote, I don't have to keep saying ass, but he, kept, he smote him and turned her in the way. And the angel of the Lord, Ahmad, this time, now God is just showing that he is going to dwell there, not moving. I am not moving. I'm dwelling here. This is where I'm going to abide. There will be no passing by where I'm at. And so we go on, and you know that Balaam keeps smiting um, the ass. And then the thing that cracks me up, go to the next page, because there are other two verses there. Um, he opens the eyes of Balaam, and he sees the angel of the Lord standing there. In these next two verses, talking about how he recognized that the Lord was standing there, Nashab, representing the way that Balaam should go. Because right after this, this is what God says, okay, I'm going to let you go, but this is what you have to say. So initially, he was just really upset with um, Balaam because Balaam was going to go, but, you know, he hasn't, hadn't really consulted the Lord on what he was going to do. So now he's going forward. He's being set on a path that is directed of the Lord, and that's what this little situation is about. But the thing that I find so funny is that when the donkey spoke to him, I mean, that would have totally changed the topic for me. I'd have been like, dude, you just spoke to me. What is going on here? How is this donkey talking, right? Well, the Lord did open the donkey's mouth, but would that have, you know, you would think it would surprise you, right? But I think that there are some commentaries that talk about the fact that, um, well, you have what? You have the serpent that talked to Eve. So we have indications of animals, serpents, being able to talk, right, to people. And I think, you know, you think about what was going back in those days, a lot of familiar spirits happening, a lot of spiritual atmospheres back then. They believed in all this mumbo-jumbo, and, and of course it comes from God, but they believed the stuff that the enemy was also producing. So it was all just this big pot of spiritual dynamic 
and they just kind of fell into all of it. You know, if they were not aligned with God, they were going to be falling in believing, a, a, you know, a soothsayer or a donkey, you know, talking. But that is so unusual for me. I mean, none of, have any of you talked to an animal? I mean, anybody besides my mom? No, <laughs> just kidding. Bandits just talking all the time. I didn't want to tell you all that. <laughs> anyway, let's look at establishing dominion. What was the time here? Woo, I got one minute. David here, he defeated the enemy, and he said he went to establish his dominion. So once he had um, made that point of defeat of the enemy and procured that uh, you know, that land, I don't want to call it land because I haven't read what this was about. This might have been whenever he was, he was smoting the Philistines, but I can't remember if this was when he was going to rule or not. I didn't read the circumstances around it. But still, he was establishing dominion and he did it through this Nishab way, okay, in partnership with God and submitting himself for the way that God would go forward. In the bleeding of the sheep, you have a story of Saul. This is so funny. It's 1 Samuel 15. Saul was told to completely destroy um, the Amalekites, but their stuff looked so good. It was really hard to destroy those nice animals. We're going to use those for our sacrifice. That's what we're going to do. And the Lord talks to Samuel and says, you're not going to believe this, but Saul has ceased to follow me. You're going to have to go talk to that boy. And so Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up in a place, and he's gone about and passed on and gone down to Gigal. There's some writing there. He did what? <laughs> he, he, um, he set him up a place, is gone about, He's passed on and gone down to Gilgal. I guess that's like talking to me. She went over to that thing, grabbed the stuff, and then she went there. I mean, you knew exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> but Yeah, you don't know what's really going on here. It's really funny. But the main point is they're saying, look, Saul did this thing, and he's just going about his business. Not only that, he set up his own hand. He sure did because he didn't obey God. He set up his own hand, and now he's fixing to pay for it. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed thou of the Lord. He's totally lost. He has no idea that he's about to lose it all. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Samuel said, Then what meaneth the bleeding of the sheep? <laughs> well, I thought it would be a really good idea. If we could use these great-looking sheeps and bullocks and do some sacrifices. That's what I was thinking. What do you think? And this is what I'm going to tell you, is what Samuel says. Well, say on, brother. I mean, Saul said, well, speak. Tell me. I mean, Saul is completely clueless that he's losing the kingdom. It's nuts. It's a small thing. I mean, I took the animals, but I did it for God. I mean, it was a righteous thought I had. I thought it was doing a good thing, really. Folks, we can't, we can't do that. We can't make our own righteousness. We can't, we can't set up our own hand. 
know, the yacht is the hand of power and partnership. You can't, you can't make your own deals. You can't set up your own way. Now, this last one I'm going to leave to you because it's really long. But it is a really interesting passage about Jeremiah. And I did read some of the other chapters leading up to this. And Jeremiah is lamenting over what God is doing with the children of Israel because, of course, they'll be backsliding. But this prayer is just about Jeremiah. And I do think it's an interesting study, something that we can probably relate to over years of being refined, years of, of having to experience um, the hand of, of instruction and chastisement. You know, God is always trying to change us, but there's only, only one outcome that he's interested in, and that is for us to become sons. He's not... He's not chastising us to hurt, you know, to hurt us for the sake of hurting us. He's chastising us because we're not going to survive where we're going. We can't be used in the way that he intends if we can't submit ourselves and be changed. We have to die daily. It is just part of going into the new. You're not prepared for the new if you're taking the old with you. You're just not. You have to let go of the things that he is... is um, bringing to your attention and and go forward and I'm telling you Jeremiah was talk about poetic I mean it sounds things like things were really bad he was a prophet I mean he was righteous he wasn't doing the bad stuff he hadn't backslid but God was dealing with him as a son but then I love I mean he just is dying a thousand deaths but then he says, oh, but I recall this to my mind, therefore I have hope. <laughs> you know, he doesn't entirely give up because he knows that God is doing something. There's something good that's going to come from what he's going through. So I hope, yes, sir. And the reins are the kidneys, and it's the purifier of the body. God says he tries the reins. So any time that God wants to send us forth as arrows, as his sons, uh, to bless us into a new measure of covenant, God's going to target that area to see whether we're willing to go forth with it. Are we going to process? Are we going to be willing to change? Are we, are we going to be willing to let that go so that we can be healthy to move forward into the new? And in the midst of all of the things that the weeping prophet had to deal with and that tumultuous time frame where he lived, God was still using him, sending the arrow of sonship to the reins, but it was for the purpose of, as you point out here, Nishab. So, that's, that's very interesting out of that. Um, you know, God bends his bow. He's going to send the arrow, which is sonship, which is the blessing. Um, but he, he targets the reins. He, that's the mark. And, and I think that for us, like this week um, is going to be a unique week for the saints as we continue our journey of preparation. But I think God is sending his arrows to see, are you willing to 
in the midst of where you've been to go forward into the new. So the arrows and the reins is, is really significant there, I think. I agree. And I think to go along with what you just said um, about the Lord targeting, targeting us at this moment, because I, I feel like I remember in the beginning how fresh everything was to all of us and our willingness to change and our willingness to give things up. And those things were really, um, interestingly, the things we gave up were things that we could tangibly see that needed to change. I mean, it wasn't rocket science. Okay, I got to stop knocking over the Piggly Wiggly. I got to, you know, we're giving up things that we know the Lord doesn't, doesn't uh, approve of, right? Missing the mark it is in our daily lives or things that can cause us to miss the mark. But then what happened for the next 25 years was not that we didn't keep doing those things because that's what the people normally do. They party on Saturday or Friday and they go to mass and repent on Saturday. Right, they just do that week after week after week. And even Baptists are just as bad. You go and the, the message that you walk into every single time, I don't mean to say Baptists, sorry, whoever they are. Um, but I've been to a Baptist church, so I can speak about what I know. Every time I walked into the door, it was about sin and repenting and just coming to know the Lord. And so that's all they heard every single week. There was never anything about going forward. You just repented of your sins. And I know the pastor said that earlier, but what we embarked upon once we repented was where the Lord then began to show things that were hidden in our lives, things that we couldn't see. It's not that we were hiding them on purpose, but they were root issues. They were things within us that would give us maybe that iniquity that would give us the propensity to miss the mark. And you really can't go forward into the season that God is preparing for you if you're still missing the mark from the last season. So he's every season you're dealing with something that's a little bit different that addresses something that causes you to actually overcome and become um, a, an agent in the new season. But while you're in that, an agent in that season, he's preparing you to be an agent in the next season. And every season has that thing that he is he's revealing within you that you have to be willing to give up, to let go, to change. I mean, listen, our ideas, our thoughts, our desires, they're like our little pets. They're very special to us. They're, they belong to us. We have acquired those over the years. This is how I am who I am. So when God starts, it's like if God were to start to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill your dog. You would like, I'm not doing this. Thanks, God, but no thanks. But that's what those things are. They're your pet. That's why dying to self is so painful, because you are actually having to let go of something that you are liking. It doesn't mean you're in sin. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, watching porn or some bad thing. It's just an ideology. It's the thing you're thinking that's going to keep you from succeeding where you're going. Our perspective has to completely always be aligned. So I think about this moment, and now we're seasoned sons. We're not those young folks that have just laid down those initial things, and, and we stepped into refining and pruning and all that really unawares. It was like, holy crap, what is happening? You know, I am on the, this is hot up here. It is, you know, I am on the wheel. God is really dealing with me. Um, you know, and we just, you know, we didn't really know how to respond to God when he started poking 
prodding and cutting and, you know, all the stuff. But now we've been down that road a lot. Here we are. We're all seasoned sons. We're pretty comfortable. We know how to do this thing. And now God is dealing with stuff that I still think we don't see for ourselves. And there are things that we still have to let go of with just as much verve as we did in the beginning. And honestly, I don't even know how. I don't know what I'm comfortable in. I don't know what I'm relying on that's keeping me from going forward. I don't see it. I'm trying to be passionate. I'm trying to seek the Lord with all my heart. And I have gone way over now that I got into preaching. See, all that extra stuff was free. And God wants us to move forward. And we, please be fervent in your desire to be changed and for him to, to um, as Pastor said, uh, deal with the areas within us right now to prepare us for, the, for what's coming. I know I want that. Father, thank you for this word. This was a real delight to, to study and to see how your word is alive and is so deep and rich. I pray that, that each one of us would, would find a place in our heart for this word and it would begin to move about and to do its work within us that we might be willing and ready to move forward in your timing and in your perfect will. I speak a blessing over this day. I speak a blessing over your people and, and, and all the saints, Lord, that your presence would be with us, that we would tangibly know and, and experience your presence today. Prepare us for our coming together in a few weeks. Prepare our hearts. We love you and we praise you in all things. Amen.